Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where you learn what you need to know about how the world wants to work. And now your host, co-working space owner and trend expert, Jamie Russo. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Russo. Thank you for joining me. I think you're going to love this episode. You are particularly going to love this episode if you happen to be a building owner or someone who thinks about how to add value to smaller communities. So Jim Hyde is my guest today, and Jim is the host of the annual Small Scale Development Forum which is part of ULI. And he just hosted his 16th annual event and he invited me to speak, which was a complete treat. The group was amazing. Anybody who was in co-working, I think would have loved the group. I think the ethos of his group and co-working in general really overlap around the passion for making a difference in people's lives at a local level through the built environment and through building community. So I wanted to have Jim on to share his story. He is a small-scale developer. He uh, is a built environment entrepreneur. He wrote a book about building small, which is, I recommend it to anyone. I have it. I love it. And he's the founder of Craftwork Coworking in Healdsburg, California. So I do a longer detailed intro to Jim, but I think you're going to enjoy this. And I think it's going to give you some framework for thinking about how co-working fits into the local community. And if you are one of the folks who you know are a building owner and kind of doing uh, small scale development, you're really going to appreciate getting to know Jim. So enjoy my conversation. Welcome. I have a special guest today. He's sort of local, sort of not, a couple of hours away. Jim Hyde. Jim, Thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. I cannot wait for this conversation, which is ironic because I feel like I was dodging you for a while. I felt like that too. Totally. So I'll I'll introduce Jim by way of saying he would send me some emails. He opened a co-working space in Healdsburg, which is one of my favorite places probably like in the world. Healdsburg is a lovely place and we can talk a little bit about what Jim's been up to there. You say, come over, come, you know, chat, let's meet. And it's a couple of hours away. And so I don't get to Healdsburg all the time. And when I'm there, I'm like vacation mode, not co-working mode. So <laughs> I hadn't been to visit. And then this is a um, a good case study in subject lines. <laughs> sent me a, an email. And I think the subject was what's not to like. And I was like, what does Jim have to say? <laughs> and so Jim invited me to be on a panel and an event he was hosting and it's fall in wine country. So I said, yeah, I'll come up for the day and attend, you know, attend the event, which you invited me to do and dinner and, you know, all the things. And so I got to finally meet you in person and now you're in trouble because I had such a great time at your event. I loved the people there. It was great to meet you and see what you're doing in Healdsburg. And so now I'm like, Jim, when can we talk? When can we do a podcast? (laughs) So it worked. Well, that was my my strategy all along. So that's good. (laughs) Totally. Now I'm like, how did I not realize who this guy was? So so I'm going to read a little bit of, well, I'll give you the quick overview of why I think my listeners will enjoy Jim because you have to meet Jim in person. He's very special and charismatic, but also I think the work that you do is very aligned with the why of people in co-working in Mm -hmm. general, right? Mm -hmm. So that was very clear from the group that I met at the ULI event, which we can talk about in a second. So the folks who are listening, who do small scale development in their own communities, maybe own a building and they've put co-working in it, like Jim is kind of all about that So you've spent, well, I guess we could say it's in your bio. So I'll say it's been 40 years focused on the built (laughs) environment, specifically how we build community, how we improve the quality of life in towns and cities and how real estate development can and should play an outsized role in improving people's lives. So consulting, founding innovation companies, real estate development, 
Um, and the common threads in that work for you are innovation, sustainability, creating stronger connections to the environment, and helping clients and communities make better decisions through improved processes, better information, and constructive examples and dialogue. But for me, it's like really about sort of the yeah, just the ethos of what you're up to really aligns with co-working. And you also created a co-working space <laughs> in Healdsburg, which has a very cool story on its own. So Jim, the I met you at the ULI event that you host, um, which is the Small Scale uh, Developer Forum. This was your 16th event, right? Correct. Yeah. Wild. Okay. And you also, hold on, I got to look at my camera and make sure You've got you've got it in your background. I've got it here. Jim <laughs> wrote this book, which I knew about before the event, and then I bought. I have an autographed copy from the event now. You do. And I was saying to Jim, it's a beautiful book. A, it's literally beautiful. The photos, and and also now I know some of the people that are talked about yeah. in the book. Yeah. I was like, wait, they were at the event. <laughs> now everybody's going to want to come to this event, so we'll have to be careful about um, you know over creating too much demand for your event for the folks who listen, who would, who would fit into that. But um, it, again, it just, I'm struck as I read through it, I'm thinking about some of the folks who've been in my co-working startup school, who are small scale developers, like you and your community who have a why. And who I just, I, yeah, I love the book. So we'll link to your book, but let's, so I've been talking about who you are. Tell us in your own words, kind of, yeah, a little bit about what you're up to that we haven't covered yet. And um, well, we can start with the co-working space. Well, tell us about your development activities. And then what the heck made you decide that you wanted to, to do a co-working space, which you actually leased and has a great story um, behind it. So give us a little a little more gym detail. And then oh, wow, we'll yeah, that's that, that, well, thank you. That was a great intro. I'm gonna need to I, I have to hire you to do my marketing <laughs> pitches. That was that was one of the best ones I've ever heard. So that was great. Um yeah and and it was interesting listening to you because I'm trying to think it was it was it co-working that led to is is co-working the manifestation of all the values that I hold about real estate development or is real estate development the kind of, you know, what drove me to do co-working or something like that. So I, I have to think a little bit about that. But yeah, the short the short backstory that I like to share is, so I, I, I was trained as a landscape architect and spent many years doing design and have a, you know, really strong passion for design, which you obviously saw when you were here, mm -hmm. uh, believe in the power of good design to really inspire people. Um, but after about 15 years spent uh, in design firms, drawing stuff, went back and did graduate work in real estate because real estate development is, as I like to say, most of the stuff I drew never got built. And it was like, what is it that I don't understand about our clients or the way they make decisions that, you know, I've got all this stuff I'm really passionate about and drawing and I'm staying up late and then it all gets, you know, pushed aside or something like that. And for me, it was like learning a foreign language that so much of the world bases its decisions on, you know, quantitative economics, you know, math, and we're talking about design and subjectivity. I, I think that's changed a lot um, in the last decade where there is much more appreciation for the power of place, uh, for creating communities, uh, for creating experiences. And, you know, that's what many ways co-working is all about. It's, a, it's experiential office work as opposed to just, you know, going to a cubicle. Um, so there was a natural intersection, I think, between what I was doing and, um, you know, where where uh, craft work kind of grew out of. The other piece of the puzzle, I'd say, is, you know, most of my work early in my career were very big projects, you know, 25,000 acre planned communities in the Nevada desert and, you know, big 300 room resorts over in Hawaii and stuff like that. And but when I would go and travel to these places, I always found myself wanting to spend time in the nooks and crannies of towns that had kind of had that patina, you know, the warehouse districts, the evolved kind of character. And so it was that small, incremental, you know, accretive, organic kind of neighborhoods that really cut you know, struck me and caught my passion. And so in many ways, while the big projects maybe helped pay the bills, it was the passion laid in the smaller projects. And so over time and the small scale developer forum, which you mentioned, which was uh, 
uh, founded by myself and a colleague um, uh, with the support of the Urban Land Institute, you mentioned ULI, was really meant to find people that were interested in smaller scale development, not because they couldn't do bigger scale, but because they really believed in the power of it to transform communities, create great places, um, help rebuild and heal communities uh, in a way that you know big institutional development just can't do. And you know, as you said, eight, eight, nine years, let's see, we started in 2012, so nine years later, Later now, we've really kind of between the book, the 16th Forum, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of other organizations that are focusing on this. And, and the goal is, you know, not to disparage um, big development, but to try and elevate small development as an alternative for communities that want to see something different happen in their in their towns and places. So I think the book for me, I mean, exactly what you mentioned, like when I travel, I want to the nooks and crannies. Yeah, I want the local feel like I, I, you know, I guess I can, you know, go downtown or like Chicago is a great example. Like I always want people. Chicago is a gorgeous city. Yeah. But then it has some amazing neighborhoods with, you know, just lots of good, like cool local. What You call it like the like the f- fabric and the like the granularity, like. I'm trying to remember the the words that you use. I'm, I'm looking at the book, but it's like, yeah, you want people to really get into that stuff. And the book talks about like, that's what people like. A lot of people like that stuff. So you, you put, you know, words to like this feeling I had yeah. about places yeah. like that. And you're like, yeah. Um, and it can be it. Yeah. And then, and then at the forum, you do this super cool activity where you had like everybody in the room gets a chance to say for like, 30 seconds what they're working on and it's super effective. I'm going to have to borrow that. But I mean, everybody in that room was working on some sort of like cool thing that was going to make a difference in a community. Yeah. Wasn't it? It was amazing. Wasn't it just to see that, that kind of rapid fire, you know, uh, you know, everybody gets three slides, 15 seconds each. And it's just amazing to see the diversity and the passion and the the kinds of things people are doing and the inspired design and the, you know, completely, you know, a lot of it's so disruptive and so, you know, unconventional and all driven by people committed to what they're doing, which is great. Yeah. Some, some, yeah, some beautiful stories and some of them doing co-working in various shapes and forms, I think not because they, some of them had thought about it kind of as a business model. So a lot of my listeners are, you know, get into the pro forma and, you know, figure, but like, because they feel like that's what should be in the building or, you know, be part of the project, right? which I thought was, was very cool. So, okay. So you will, will zoom back out a little bit, but um, well, so, you know, I do want to mention ULI a little bit more. I had never been, so Urban Land Institute. I've heard mention of it many times. And there are a lot of folks who are in the co-working industry who kind of overlap with the ULI folks. I'd never been to an event before. If somebody's in a local market and is like, yeah, this stuff that Jim's doing is really interesting, do they join a local chapter? Like what's the inroad for to, to ULI? Yeah, so so you can. I mean, there's uh, the district, what's called the district councils, which are kind of the local, and I think there's about 55 of them around the country now, are where you can kind of engage at the local level, and uh, they become pretty powerful, and they have different levels of membership, like a lot of organizations. The organization itself is about 50,000 members. Wow. It's global. Uh, it's probably, you know, arguably the premier uh, research and education and kind of thought leadership um, organization around the built environment. And um, they like to describe themselves as a tent maker, meaning they really bring together different disciplines, which is one of the reasons I have spent so much of my career involved because, you know, I could spend time with, you know, the group of landscape architects or other designers, but we're all, you know, it's like you're, you're hearing the same thing from the same people versus right. ULI as policymakers, it's capital, it's developers, it's, you know, active citizens. And, you have sometimes the tough conversations about why this stuff is so hard and how to make it actually happen. So I, I get a lot out of it. And you, yeah, you can join at the local level. There's uh, chapters, there's product councils. And then the small scale forum, as you and I talked about, is a, is a national program that we hold twice a year in a different city every time. So 16th one was Healdsburg, and that was our 16th city. And um, you mentioned the book, and the book was really 
an outgrowth of the stories and the lessons and the challenges that I'd heard probably by the time we'd gotten to our 12th program and said, you know, there's just too much good stuff here that needs to be shared that because it's small and it's so diffuse, um, people aren't getting a chance to kind of see it as a, as a total story. And there's, there's a lot of power here. So that was really the genesis of the book. Yeah. And that's how I felt about the forum. Like you could tell it was special for people to come together and say, oh, this, these are like my people. Right? Yeah, yeah. And they get to hear each other's stories and sort of validate like what they're working on. Cause some of them are like pretty special projects that are to your point, not always ROI driven. I mean, some return, but really a focus on impact in the community. Um, so, okay. Let's talk about your, um, your co-working space. And yeah, let's tell a little bit. I do have some some slides here, which I might pull up. Oh, okay. Great. Um, we'll start with the, you found the building. Yeah, it had a vault. <laughs> well, let, and, and maybe back up a little bit more totally. beyond the building. Yeah, tell us I the think why. This well, is, yeah, the why, the why. Just to paint the story, the, what's the population of Healdsburg? Uh, 12,000 people. 12,000. Yeah. So it's so, like an hour and a half from San Francisco. Correct. So Correct. And, and, so, you know, it's, it's one of these, what I would call lifestyle communities. Yeah. Some people call it amenities. It's, it's, you know, it's a resort town without necessarily the resort that the, the, the town is kind of the resort in many ways, because it's such a special, you know, great community fabric. Yeah, all the, the town things square. That, yeah. Town square. The first time we went, I don't remember if we went to Healdsburg before we lived here, but the first like real memory I have of the town square is 4th of July, 2012, maybe. Okay. And like, you had like the, what's the little band uh-huh. where the, like, what is that called? The, the, ba- the, the gazebo. Like, yeah. They were in the gazebo, but yep. like this old timey band playing the 4th of July music. And there's like a little kid parade and everybody's picnicking in the square and actually, we sat next to the Banshee folks oh, okay. who are now like such a big part of the community. And yeah. they must have been already in the dog patch or wherever they were. But they were telling us like, oh, we're going to try this tasting room, you know, on the square. So that was early days. But it was so like iconic 4th of July. So cute. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's kind of in some ways Norman Rockwell meets, yeah. uh, I don't know, hipster, you know, <laughs> totally. USA. So it's it's got this constantly evolving dynamic, which I think continues to attract people that that is their psychographic. And so it continually evolves as opposed to a lot of places that are kind of resort towns and they they stagnate because people don't want any change. And we certainly have our our challenges here, but uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's a good place. And, and, you know, the genesis for this is, as you and I talked about, I mean, passion for community, love the whole co-working thing had kind of been into, had used one when I lived in San Francisco, cause I'd lived there for about 20 years before moving here full time. And it was really when we went to Detroit for the forum, I forget which number it was, but. Um, it was in 2017. Cause I thought, Oh, that was a little early probably for co-working in Detroit. Oh, interesting. Well, it was just exploding. And we actually did the, and each of our forums is themed around something. So as you know, Healdsburg was about small meets small, meaning small development in a small town. But Detroit was about co-working, urban manufacturing and makerspace. And so we toured a number of them. And, um, you know, I just, I just came away from that, just so inspired and just thought the spaces were so cool. And so came home and thought, you know, this is a town that I think this could work. It's, it would be, you know, it's not going to be 50,000 square feet. We work model, but it could be, um, it could be smaller. And I had kind of envisioned, uh, and you'll, you'll appreciate this. I don't know how many of the other listeners on this, but my, my, my shorthand, when I was trying to describe it to people was, Hotel Healdsburg lobby meets Banshee tasting room meets flying goat coffee. So it's that, it's that kind of a a vibe and aesthetic. So it's sophisticated and it's flexible, but it's, you know, kind of busy and it's local and it's a little bit eclectic. And um, 
So, you know, and I would talk to people and they said, well, do you think that's going to work here? And I well, I don't know. So I, I did a survey and I gave it to the chamber and they sent it out to their members. And in two weeks, I had 80 people expressed interest. So you and had so, the chamber do the survey for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's because they I liked the that. idea. They thought it was good, you know, good for them. They're always having people ask about office space or whatever else. So that said, okay, there's something here. And then I, I in the survey, I said, are you interested in like, how often would you use it? Um would you want an office? Would you want a desk? Whatever. And so I immediately went to the people that selected an office, called them up when they had coffee and, um, you know, just sat down and said, what do you need? What are you looking for? What would make this really good for you? So it really helped kind of sort things out for me. And then the other thing I did was I made a bunch of posters that I put up said opening soon, you know, craft work and uh, didn't put the location, <laughs> just kind of put it up there, had some cool images from great co-working spaces that I'd seen. And, uh, you know, I started getting emails and calls from people. So it started to validate, okay, there's something here worth going on. So then, as you said, then the space, then the goal was to find the space there was a tired old shopping center that's right around the corner from where I live. I'd walked by it forever, thought it had good potential. Um, intuitively, and I'm not quite sure why, but intuitively, I always felt it should be a ground floor use that, and I saw it almost as a retail use that you merchandise as opposed to an office use that's on the second floor. And I think that was, that actually has proven itself really well. I think people love kind of being seen and being part of the street scene and all that kind of stuff. So it's helped a lot. But the the funny story was, um, so I go to the landlord and this is a third generation family that owns. So it's classic, you know, small town real estate. The center was built in 1963. Um, so I'm dealing with the son of the guy who built it, who has passed away, and the son and the granddaughter or her daughter. So the son is 90 and the granddaughter is 67. So I walk in with my flip book and I'm showing them all these cool pictures of co-working and here's how it would work and everything. And the, the son, the elderly gentleman, 90, says, well, you know, I don't know. D Daddy said you should never put office in your retail centers. And I'm like, well, don't think of it like office. Think of it like a gym. And this is 5,000 square feet. And there's this thing called Amazon where I'm not sure in a small town, you're going to fill 5,000 square feet. And it's been vacant. So pretty quickly within about an hour, he says, so if I was an entrepreneur and I needed a place for have a desk and I wouldn't have to like sign a lease and I wouldn't have to get internet, it would all be there. And that's really cool. I, I think we should do this. So, you know, kind of won them over and, uh, and we, you know, started the process. So it was, as you said, it was an old bank. It was, um, Wells Fargo. And uh, so it had this huge monolith of concrete, which was the vault. And it was really awkward in terms of space planning, but um, we were able to work around it. And then so I don't know if you have any. The it had there. no vault. Like it was, was it wide open except for the vault? The well, the vault, we've, you know, once we gutted the place, so first of all, the place was just like horrific. I mean, it was like your classic, you know, 30, 40 years of just bad sheetrock and bad colors and misuse. And you know, so we gutted it. And underneath it was this beautiful structure. So we were able to like capitalize on that. And then there was this concrete block in the middle. So we um, literally cut through to, so to remove it was $30,000 and, and obviously a ton of concrete. I, I told Jim, I was like, okay, when we do the podcast, we have to start with, and if you're thinking about using a bank building, yeah. dot, 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 because there are lots of listeners out there who are like, oh my God, I did this, you know, the same thing because bank buildings are so compelling. They are, There's they are. And, it was, and, and they're vacant and they're big and yep. they're in a good location. Right. And they typically have parking, which yes. was, for us, surprisingly, in a town that is so walkable and so much, you know, bicycle friendly, that we just did a member survey, that was like the number two amenity was the fact that we've got free parking. So we're two blocks from the plaza and this amenity rich, you know, three Michelin star restaurant down to the coolest taqueria you could ever find. But uh, we have free parking, which is great. But so the vault was there, it was going to be 30 grand to remove it. And so we decided we would cut out the back of it. And actually, I'm in the vault now. So you have this thing. It's oh, yeah. 18 inches. It's 18 inches thick. Uh, we cut out the back of it, lined it with uh, uh, walnut paneling. And uh, behind the image there is uh, we sandblasted the concrete, put in some glass doors, 
you know, we had to core drill through the concrete to drop in some Wi-Fi because nothing was going to get in here. And uh, it's a cool, it's, it's cool. We use it for private dinners, for wine tasting, you know, boardrooms. And then obviously people use it for stuff like podcasts and talking to you. So uh, it's great. And it's, it's become a signature feature of the space um, that really kind of defines it. So it was one of those lemons into lemonade kind of thing. And you opened February of 2020? Perfect. We opened 63 days before shelter in place in COVID, but who's counting, right? So January 6th, uh, 2020, and um, you know, opened uh, way ahead of plan. You know, our goal was 100 members in 100 days, and we had 95 members on our 50th day. And uh, revenue was great, way ahead of our plan. I'd been pretty conservative underwriting it. And then March I think 17th hit. And... Um, and then, you know, and then it's like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? And so we had three really interesting epics. We had a group of members that came in and they said, this is too important to town. Keep billing me. I'm not going to come in too risky, but keep billing me. This is really important. I want to make sure you make it. Uh, and they lasted for about 90 days. And then they said, you know, this is going to be longer than we thought. I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to terminate my membership. But we had a whole wave of people move up from San Francisco, rent an Airbnb, shelter in place in Healdsburg is a lot better than sheltering in place in downtown San Francisco. But they had lousy internet and they were in tech. And so they said, we'd brought, we'd spent, you know, 10 grand to bring dedicated fiber to our space. So they're like, you know, we got super fast up and down. They're like, perfect. So they they took that on. And then about September, we had the, the parents that came in and said, oh, my God, my kids are still homeschooling. I've got no bandwidth. I can't get anything done. You know, we're going to do it. So we limped through the first year. And then um, in uh, probably about April of this year, we kind of things really turned uh, positive for us. And, and a big part of our business model, unlike maybe a traditional co-working, a big part of our business model was corporate retreats. So you talked about how lovely Healdsburg is to come to. We thought there was a part of the business thesis was there are corporate teams, C-suite, um, think tanks, strategy teams that want to come up for a two-day retreat. And the only place to do that is in a hotel. And typically in a hotel, you got to eat their food, you got to buy their yeah. rooms, the yeah. rooms have- Pay for their AV, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. The workspace you know, has art on the walls. You can't move the furniture around. So we created what we call the Urban Workshop, which is a place for about 30 people, highly flexible, you know, super high def TV screen on one end, old school whiteboard on the other end, pinup walls everywhere, big patio doors that go out to our outdoor patio. And the idea was we would capture these teams that wanted two-day retreats. They can, they can schedule lunch out. We can bring it in, give them a whole Healdsburg experience. So when we first opened, we had eight of those scheduled for our third month. And we were like, you know, and there were a couple grand a day. So it was, you know, it was super. Uh, and then they all canceled, like because of COVID, like within 72 hours. So that was a, that was a real kick to the gut. But um, we still believe that model is relevant. And when people do start meeting, I think it'll be really valuable for us because, you know, everybody wants to get together after what we've all been through. They just don't know when. So, Hey, I just wanted to jump in really quickly before we continue with our discussion. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to invite you to join me for my free masterclass, three behind the scenes secrets to opening a co-working space. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to share the three decisions that I've seen successful operators make when they're creating their co-working business. The masterclass is totally free. It's about an hour and includes some Q&A. If you'd like to join me, you can register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash masterclass. If you already have a co-working space, I want to make sure you know about Community Manager University. Community Manager University is a training and development platform for community managers, and it can be for owner-operators. It has content training, resources, templates from day one to general manager. The platform includes many courses that cover the major buckets of the community manager role from community management, operations, sales and marketing, finance, and leadership. The content is laid out in a graduated learning path. So the community manager can identify what content is most relevant to them, depending on their experience, and kind of jump in from there. We provide a live brand new training every single month for the community manager group. We also host 
a live Q&A call every single month so that the community managers can work through any challenges that they're having or opportunities, um, get ideas from other community managers, build their own peer network. We also have a private Slack group for the group. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. So you haven't seen that come back yet. Fits and starts. We've had some yeah. small ones, but yeah, no, I mean, like we're, our, our model was two per month and we're probably getting one every other month. Yeah. Yeah. You'll start to get there. Okay. I'm sharing for anybody who's oh, okay. on YouTube, cool. the layout. And I love how intentional this is because you kind of grouped your amenity spaces. Well, except for the beautiful fireplace in the front. So let's not forget about that. Yeah. But the Right. The corporate retreat kind of happens in the back with the patio um, and they can sort of spread out and use whatever kind of components that they need to use. Right. They can have the vault, they can have the kitchenette and that's kind of closed off from the workspace. Yeah. And, you know, there are a couple of really good lessons in all of this. You know, I'd love to say this is a, you know, brilliant linear process that, you know, I came up with this, but this is really the evolution of talking to a lot of people. Um, Natasha Juliana, who runs uh, Work Petaluma in um, Petaluma, you know, was very generous with her time, spent a day with me up here. And uh, she was the one, you know, originally my idea was most public space up front, semi-private all the way to private. And she's like, you know, in the city that might be good, but up here, the people in the offices kind of want to feel the vibe of like, you know, the energy of what's going on in the center. So we came up with this more of the, the two edges focused around the open space. And it really has played out well because people do, they, they want to feel a part of the, you know, what's happening in the center core, but also be able to close the doors. Um, the other thing that happened was in the very back there where we've got that second kitchen, we, uh, as we were building out, I brought in some event planners that I'd met here in town. And I said, you know, walk through, think, tell me how you would use this. Could we rent the entire space for a wedding reception? You know, we can do this. And so they came to the back and they said, you know, if you had a kitchen back here, you could rent the vault and the workshop and close that off and people could have breakout space. It could have a caterer slide in that back door. And so what was originally going to be some additional offices in the back there became that second kitchen. So, you know, a, a lot of my design process is talk to as many people as you can and get the benefit of their wisdom and experience, and then just kind of keep, you know, nurturing it through the plan. So I think I drove the contractor and the architect nuts because I was constantly changing stuff. But like, okay. Here. So I talked to somebody else and they said, no, I love that though, because you, you know, have a background in, you know, the built environment and could have made a lot of assumptions. Yeah. And yet you still did kind of the bootstrappy things that are the right things to do, like your survey, your posters, you know, all the things to validate that this was going to work and that people wanted this and that wanted, you know, the same thing that you were envisioning. So uh, well, validate and also uh, customize. I mean, I learned so much yeah. from all of those things, talking to people that, you know, it was, it was, it was really, really good. The other, the other quick thing that I will say, um, and I can't remember if I told you this when we were together, but, you know, I, I finally had to open the doors. I'm kind of a perfectionist, but I finally had to open the doors, even though I didn't have all the furniture I wanted and I'd run okay. out of money and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And that was like the best thing ever because having, Continue. First of all, there were a lot of things I was trying to do that I have never done. It ended up not doing it all. And it was so good because the space works really well without them. You know, some of the built-in stuff. But the other thing was, I think there is a culture and a psychographic that likes co-working. I mean, they're entrepreneurs, the people that want to be part of something that's happening. So to come in every week, to come in every month and see the thing continuing to evolve and grow and take on new personality was really fun for people. And they felt a sense of authorship of what we were doing, as opposed to, you know, it was perfect day one and that's the way it was. So they were kind of along for the ride and it really made them mentally, I think, bigger, you know, mental owners of the, of the place, which yeah. has been, you know, really great. I, I love that you shared that because right. It's sort of a mindset thing. You're either the type that like wants it all in a bow before people, I talk about that a lot in terms of pre-selling, like some yeah. people don't even want to pre-sell until it's perfect. Right. And by then you're paying rent. Yeah. So, like the bills <laughs> exactly. need to be paid. Yeah. 
And so if you can shift your mindset, I love the, you know, the term authorship to get your community engaged and yeah, they like it that way. So yeah. And here's kind of a photo. The space is really beautiful. I also love the cables from the ceiling because how, yeah. how tall are the ceilings? Uh, ceilings are 14 feet. And, you know, so we didn't have any power in that center core. So, you know, one of the budget cuts was, well, I can't dig that up and, you know, run stuff in there. So it's like, yeah, yeah we'll just get some you know, some industrial cords from Home Depot and we'll, we've got all the conduit and the power up there. We'll just drop them down and it gives it this kind of workshop, you know, you know, cool garage feel. And it's been, you know, great because again, as we've had to move desks around, spread them out, you know, for COVID, whatever else, it's super flexible as opposed to having like laid out every plug in the floor. And then three months in found out we had them in the wrong spot. Which is another, right sort of pro for not having ordered all your furniture is you had <laughs> right, right. Yep. spread it apart. Um, I mean, the number of members, I almost don't even want to say this, you said it earlier is 95 in, in 60 days. And you had all your offices rented at open yep. half of your dedicated desks were taken, but this is a, a, again, a big kudos to you just did the work up front, like the fact that you did the survey and you said, okay, I'm going to go have a coffee with everybody who wants an office and a, you're validating that they're real and they mean it. And then, right. you know, you're, you're sort of pre-selling them and making sure you actually build what you want to build. But I mean, that's a tremendous, you know, pre-sell and fill up effort. And unfortunately it was 63 days in front of a shutdown. So, so that's sorry. I don't, it's not funny at all. Um, but you did the work and and you created, you know, the thing that attracted your ideal members. And you also did the, here, I'll share this for anybody watching, kind of your, your ideal community avatar. You know, you, you did the work on, you know, who are they? What's interesting to them? What do they need? What do they want? So you got really pretty deep into what is the average age of your member? Your, your male ICA is 52. Yeah, it's probably so I think, you know, just a cross section is that we just did a member survey. We're probably, uh, I would say average is 45, but we span about, you know, 30 to 65. I think we definitely skew more um, older, just because of the nature of time, we skew more professional, and kind of independent, um, solo worker, professional, you know, finance consultant, technology developer, um, creative artist journalists, that kind of stuff. So that's a you know a little different than what you might find in a metro area. Yep. Um, and we, you know, one of the things we started early on, so, you know, a couple of things that, you know, early on decided about this was we wanted to make sure that the community loved this and felt this was important. And so, you know, our values around supporting the local economic ecosystem, you know, building, um, high performance workspace for everybody, uh, creating a place for what we call doers as opposed to doers to grow both professionally and personally. So those were things that we, you know, unlike maybe a corporate uh, co-working, we wanted to be a hub for the community. So we have like a nonprofit policy where if your mission aligns with our values, you know, free pro bono space in the evening, half rates during the day. Um, we partner with locally owned businesses to provide a lot of our goods and services and then promote them to um, when we have our retreats or if the people come in, they're the ones that are doing the catering and the drinks and the, you know, the local wineries and the distillery that, you know, does our, does our cocktails and stuff. And then, uh, and then they give our members discounts. So there's kind of a, a quid pro quo there where we have special things with all of them. But the idea was we wanted people to feel like this was really important to town and it was part of the town. Um, and it kind of played out when COVID hit and they said, you're too important to go away. So, so it's, you know, I think that that was a, that was a big part of our, our business model and thesis was, you know, to be loved by the community and be important to the community so that they continue. So one of the other things that we did was we called, created this membership category called NRTR, which was not ready to retire. And the (laughs) thinking was there were a bunch of people who sort of, you know, captains of industry, they were living out in Dry Creek Valley now. And it's like, how many times do you really want to like have breakfast with your wife in the morning? So I'm going to go out for my bike ride. I'm going to go downtown. I got to grab a coffee and I could come in and sit at Craftwork and check my email and 
sit next to some person who's developing a business and share some wisdom and create these kind of, you know, organic mentorships and see how that works out. So, and give them a chance to kind of stay connected into the community. That hasn't, we ha- that hasn't played out the way I had hoped, but I still think it's a valid, you know, concept and something where co-work is not just, you know, not just for young people and it's not just for work. There's a lot of other things that we can do with it. So. Totally. I would, yes. I think, I think that's one of those, probably a COVID thing too. It'll take time to build. And then mm-hmm. you, you might be um, fighting them off all the guys or, or the ladies who don't want to yeah. have uh, breakfast with their husbands. You want to sit in your lobby and read their paper and drink their, drink your coffee. <laughs> or, you know, we've had a couple of women's do like book club in the evening, get a couple totally. of, of wine, sit around the fireplace. You so know. that idea that it's kind of the community living room, if you're a member, it's kind of a club. I actually, I used to use the term club working instead of co-working. So the idea that, you know, it's this kind of special place after, after five o'clock, you know, come in and hang out type of thing. So, so I think that's actually a really interesting comment because I think you know, part of your why is that connection to the community. And so you're intentionally trying to create a space that is people don't think of only for work. Right. Yeah. And I, so I think that's really interesting and will become more of a, an approach. It's not very common. Most people are very focused on, you know, and when you look at sort of the amenities on the website, it's, you know, the Wi-Fi and the, this and the meeting rooms and the, but this whole like community place where you can accomplish more than one thing is super interesting to me. And I think in communities that are smaller, it works. Or even communities that that are bigger. There's a woman who was on the podcast, um, Tessa, I'm trying to think of her last name. She's in Victoria, Canada. Oh. And she calls her space Club Quench. And it has a lot of open space. And I think that works for her because she has really actually delivered on this whole, it's a big space. I think it's 25,000 square feet. And so it doesn't have the number of offices that I would expect you need Mm -hmm. to have. Mm -hmm. But she has been successful in what you're talking about, like creating this idea, like you come here for more than just work. And so she's selling more memberships that way. Yeah. And I don't think any everybody can do that or has the same sort of why or the same, you know, maybe place in a community. But I think I, I kind of love that that evolution. So I also want to make sure we cover um, you also did an economic impact survey. So you mentioned being important to the community in more ways than one. Um, so yeah, talk about a little bit about the the economic impact your members are having. Yeah, you know, this was something I've I've really been fascinated by because, you know, in, I mean, part of the backdrop here is there's a lot of hand wringing about Hillsburg's just all about tourism and, you know, it's just the tourists and it's all about wine and drinking stuff like that. And so it's like, okay, we've got, you know, 110 members here now. And I think only a few of them are in food and beverage and the other ones are doing really interesting stuff. So, what are people doing and what kind of companies are they working for? And then more importantly, what are they spending downtown? Have we created a an epicenter of spending that's supporting other businesses? Because people are buying coffee, they're buying lunch, you know, all the things that you would expect. And then a small town and in a shopping center where we are, which is a little bit tired, um, you know, that really matters. And I'm also getting, you know, about a year out from renewing my lease. And I wanted some data to at least go to the landlord and say, look at how much value we've created for our neighbors in this in yeah. the center at let alone downtown so it, you know this isn't i would say this isn't a highly statistical survey but we just we just sent a survey out to all our members we had about a 50 percent uh, return rate and uh, we asked them how much do you spend weekly on neighboring businesses and then how much do you spend in downtown so including what you spend in the neighboring businesses because i wanted to know neighboring businesses for conversations with the landlord and downtown as a larger part of you know conversation uh, and PR you know to the to the community leaders, and you can kind of see the numbers there. But so the the, the short you know the short soundbite is when you extrapolate these numbers over fifty two weeks a year, and then what we spend through our craft partners programs with local vendors and providers, 
you know, cleaning, hiring a local cleaning firm, all those kinds of things, it comes out to about a quarter of a million dollars worth of impact. So to me, that's, you know, that's, that's material that really matters. And I think is important. And, um, and I think just taking the time to understand that and explain the value creation, you know, to people is really important. So I would encourage anybody that's operating one of these to try and figure out. I, I tried to see if there was any data out there on there. And then there were a few people that had kind of done similar surveys. There's obviously no industry data, but I think it's a really important part of the story that needs to be told that, you know, we're creating jobs, we're creating economic value for surrounding businesses. And, um, in this case, I mean, you know, the the non-quantitative but qualitative value add is people come into the space and they're like, I had no idea this has done so much for this part of town or so much for this shopping center, which was like so tired and run down. And now this is great. So, you know, I feel like it had a lot of value in both economic terms as well as kind of psychic rewards uh, to the community. Yeah, I love that you did that. And to your point, it's... I hear people attempt to do it. And I think it's an important, and even again, it doesn't have to be perfect to send right. it out, get some data. Um, and I loved just, again, I'll put the link to your book in the show notes. Um, but I pulled a stat. You're talking about kind of the, the, the economic impact. I mean, small business in general, I was really surprised about the stat. Um, it's early in the book and it says a 2012 analysis of the Salt Lake region um, turned showed that 52% of small business dollars recirculated in the local economy versus 13% for national chains. And, you know, again, it's just kind of, there's a place for both, but an argument for the impact that small development can have on a community. And I think for anybody who's thinking about, you know, building locally or doing a co-working space locally, the book has a lot of good um, stats and just kind of ways of thinking about things. If you're working with your local, you know, economic group or the the folks who make the decisions about what goes in, Jim, I'm curious. Since you are a real estate developer, you signed a lease on this one. What's your? Would you build next time? Would you? What do you think about the the model lease? Boy, it's a, yeah, no, great question and really tough because it was like, um, you know, because it was an older center and very tired. My rent structure was very favorable, but I had to pay for all my TIs. So, you know, hundred bucks a foot to build out, um, six months free rent, you know, 75 cents to a buck 50, you know, at, at the, at the peak year. Um, so our operating costs, uh, are relatively low, which was great during COVID. I didn't have like a big mortgage payment or something to make. Um, but you, yeah, you wonder, I mean, I was, so I spend half a million dollars to build out the space. And unless I renew the lease, that's kind of like lost money. It's going to be a long time coming back. So it's a tough dilemma. I mean, the, the larger strategy was this to be a catalyst or a flywheel for other things I would like to do in the, in the surrounding area to really use this to drive energy, create brand. I mean, it's, it's, a little bit what we call phase in the building small world phase 0.0, where you kind of establish a place um, and get it on the map and create some activity. It's you know the cool factor, and then are able to do real estate that creates value as a result of that. But um, still in the early stages of that, I think if I could have bought something, I probably yeah with an SBA loan or something like that would probably prefer to do that. It's just the real estate here is so insanely expensive that you know you can't. It's it's the the different the delta between a monthly rent payment and knowing that you know you're done in five years versus taking on a sizable mortgage and then not sure what's going to happen is you know for all the other risks I was taking on that seemed like the best way to manage risk. So. Yeah, no, I like it. And your comment about sort of phase 0.0, that was a big takeaway for me from your event is that not everything has an immediate or clear ROI. Like when I talk to people about opening a business, I'm always very opening a co-working space specifically, very concerned about their financial goals and helping them understand like well, what does it look like to create that, right? Mm -hmm. And your group like had a lot of mixed like whys. Like maybe it's because it makes a big impact on the rest of the project, and we're not overly concerned about, you know, the the actual cash flow from that part of the project. 
you know, or to your point, like you've got a, you know, a longer term plan and this is part of the plan. And so this is not the end goal. And, right. you know, or you just like, it's a legacy thing, right? Like you're place making in, in a community that you live in and making a huge impact in the community. And maybe that's something you just wanted to get done. Yeah, there, there. I mean, it was all, it was, it was all of those. And I think the key, though, is in any of this stuff, and we hear it in any of the, you know, colleagues that are doing the building small thing. I mean, it is about patient capital, and it's about as, as I talk about in the books, one of the hallmarks of small is real estate as the means to the end, as opposed to the end itself. And I think so much real estate has gotten, yeah. you know, divorced from its purpose and the humanity of it versus building small is really about creating these great places that lead, you know, the end result is great places and great community using the real estate as the vehicle to create that. Now, it can't be philanthropy, but it right. can be a different calculus in terms of the way you look at return and value creation. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yes, that was kind of the, the takeaway, right? It's not philanthropy, but there's a lot of commingled whys. Yeah, that are yeah, happening. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Jim, I feel like I could talk to you for days and ask you more questions, but I think I probably should let you get back to your your day. Well, um, this was so much fun, Jamie. Long overdue, but so much fun. So. Totally. Wait, before we go, actually speaking of your day, because I think people always wonder this, how do you spend the day? Are you in the space most of the time? What are you? What does your your day to day look like? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so the short answer is yes. I'm in here a lot. I do. I spend a lot of time fiddling with the dials on this. Um, as anybody you know that's doing co working or entering co working knows, it's all about the community manager. So I do have a great community manager, um, and they kind of you know run the the day to day and the meet and greet and putting out the the drinks and snacks and all that stuff. Which by the way, we do for free, which adds a little premium effect and is, is money well spent for sure. Um, and then I'm I'm around, so I'm work. I have a desk here. I work here. I work on my real estate projects. I work on you know my speaking and all that kind of stuff. So it's nice being in the space. And it wasn't always that way. For the first probably six months, I was not here, uh, kind of intentionally. Um, and but I found I actually I liked being in here, you know, and I liked being around and I liked meeting. You know, I love it when somebody comes in for a tour and I can go over and say hi and how'd you hear about us and all that kind of stuff. And it's just you know personally, it's very fulfilling in that sense. So um, yeah. And I, I would say in a given week, I'm probably spending you know 10 hours a week on this, you know, checking the numbers, making sure we're on because it's a you know, it's a it's still a bit razor thin. You have to constantly fiddle with the dials and make sure you're not, you know, running afoul of the the numbers. But um uh and you know, touring people and trying to sell people and events and all that kind of stuff. But um it's still still a labor of love, so it's okay. I love it. Awesome. Well, we'll let you get back to your many <laughs> labors of love. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, no, thanks. It was really great, Jamie. So look forward to seeing you again. Oh, believe me. <laughs> yeah, Hillsburg <laughs> is on the list now that I have a co-working space. I can do my uh, my own personal quarterly offsites up there. Yeah, great. And you've got the website, I presume, for this in your in your chat. Yeah, so we'll link up to all the show notes. So you can look okay, at the pictures, Jim's book, Jim's website, and all the all the things you can find in the show notes. So we'll make Great. those readily available. Awesome. Well, thank you. And thanks for all you do and all the work that you're doing and the way you pulled the industry together and share these lessons. And, you know, it's, this is really valuable. I mean, the one thing I was, I was going to say is that, that when we started, you know, was it the real estate or was it the co-working, you know, what led? And I think in my kind of journey through all this, this is such an open source kind of personality that I think people want everybody to succeed. So I was so amazed at how gracious everybody was with sharing numbers and sharing ideas and sharing lessons. And, it, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's emblematic of what real estate could be because people want to do the right thing and they see that, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. So. Likewise. It's great. Yep. It takes a village. Yes, it does. It does. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> so. All right, Jamie, thanks so much. Hey there. Thanks for sticking with us through the end of the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please go leave us a review. It helps other folks find the podcast who are thinking about starting a co-working space or already operating a co-working space and are looking to stay up to speed on tips and trends. And 
We started a YouTube channel. We'd love to have you catch us on video. You can join us for podcast videos and Q&A videos and other things that we post to the channel. We'd love to see you there.